Hello, my beautiful friends. My name is Bryn Wise, and you are listening to the Grace Mama Grace podcast. I am a mom who struggles with mom guilt, and I am working tirelessly to overcome it. It is my mission to help you remember that you are enough, exactly the way you are. You are the mother your children need, and you are perfect as a mother just because you love your kids. Let's do this. Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. Okay, you guys, I'm so freaking stoked because today we have the amazing Carrie Nygaard on with us. This girl, oh my gosh, she is one of my favorite humans probably on the entire planet. She and I met because we are both, I'm not anymore. I actually had to step back, but we were both writing for a blog called Strong Moms, and that's how we met. And oh my gosh, her voice is amazing as far as the way she writes, the message she sp- she shares, the things that she is just that are on her heart. And she is a mom of six kids. Her oldest is 16, and then it goes all the way down to three. And she's also a life coach. And her mindset, she's been one of my customers for a little while now in the beach body world. And so we got to participate in a group in Marco Polo a couple times together. And I just loved like anytime she would do a polo, I was like, okay, turn off all sounds. No one interrupt me. I want to hear everything that she has to say. Cause she is just one of those people that, oh my gosh, she just speaks and everything makes sense. Everything clicks and just words of wisdom for sure. And her mindset is just just beautiful and amazing. So I wanted to welcome her on today. Welcome, welcome, beautiful Carrie. (laughs) Thanks, Bryn. I need that like recorded and like that could be my like alarm in the morning. Like, (laughs) like, I feel like I need to like have an applause afterwards. That was awesome. That was a great talk for me. (laughs) (laughs) And the red carpet is rolled out. I love love it. it. I love it. Okay. So when Carrie and I, I was like, girlfriend, I just keep feeling like you need to be on my podcast. I don't even know what you should share, but I just know you need to share something. What, what is on your heart right now that you feel like needs to be shared with the world? And so she sent me a couple of ideas and I was like, oh, that one, let's do that one. And so Today, we're going to be chatting about pornography in relation to women addiction and loved ones with your addiction and in relation to your kiddos and how you can bless them, help them, how it affects them as well. And I am super excited about this because if you guys have been here, if you've been one of my listeners for since the beginning, you know, because I shared about it in my Married Life podcast that I found out when my husband and I were dating that my husband had a, an addiction to pornography. And I knew that we had a conversation about it when we were dating and we, he decided, you know, we decided together, he's going to get clean before we actually get engaged and he's going to work it out with our ecclesiastical leader, our Bishop, right. Um, before we get engaged. And so he did yay. Happy joy. He's worthy to get married in the temple yay, we're getting sealed, all the happy, yay, right? And I asked him like, okay, going forward now, how can I help you through this? And he was like, well, just ask me, just ask me every once in a while how I'm doing. And so I did, and I would. And um, six years into our marriage, 
And I can't remember how much of this I actually shared. I don't know that I really got that in depth with it, but six year, it was almost our six year anniversary. And, um, <laughs> we had just finished the Saturday of general conference. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's like a weekend of a whole bunch of spiritual devotionals. That's like amazing. Right. And he had just gone to the men's session with our brother-in-law and he comes home and I, he, I think he like knocked or rang the doorbell or something. I don't know why, but I opened the front door and he was standing there and it literally looked like someone had died. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is wrong? And he kissed me so hard and like so passionately that I was like, what in the freak was that about? <laughs> right. And he told me later, like he thought that that would be the last time he ever kissed me. Right. And, um, but he comes in and he's like, I have something to tell you. Right. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like literally who died? Like, stop this right now. Just tell me, just spit it out. And he, he was like sobbing and he just said like I've been lying to you for the last six years and I am still addicted to pornography I still struggle with this and and obviously that that rocked my world quite a bit quite a bit and one of the beautiful joys of the trial I then found out a week later that I was pregnant with our second. And so it turned into like, awesome. I, I already have this like confidence, awesome issues a little bit around my body and the pornography and the way Satan attacks you and all the things. And now I'm pregnant and my hormones are out of whack and my belly is growing and my body is growing and I'm, you don't feel attractive in any way, shape or form, you know? So it was a really rocky, hard moment in our lives, but here we are. We've been married 10 and a half years now. We're having our fourth kid. I still choose him. I, I love him and we're working through it. I would love to tell you he's cured and he's healed and life is bliss. And that's not true. <laughs> he, he still messes up every once in a while and he's going to therapy and working through it and all that jazz. So just wanted to start with that mm -hmm. so that you know all my listeners out there, like whether or not you personally struggle with this in your own marriage, or you know, someone with this struggle or whatever, um, you just know a little bit more about my story and where I come from in relation to, you know, I'm not up here standing on my high horse telling you that, you know, whatever <laughs> I'm in the trenches, I'm in the trenches with you. Yes. So Carrie, all the thoughts, take it away, my friend. Well, I just want to know, what did you make it mean when he told you that? What did I make it mean? What do you mean? Well, like, what did that, what did you say? It was terrible. It was horrible. Like, why was it terrible and horrible for you? Like, yes, you were pregnant, but what did you make that mean about you and about him? I think it's kind of hard to reflect back on that. Um, I, I remember taking a couple of assessments when we were trying to find like therapy and whatever. Um, and they kept telling me like, are you sure you have betrayal trauma? And I was like, I, I mean, I don't know what, I don't know. <laughs> Do I? And I feel betrayed. I don't know. <laughs> you know, but they were like, well, honestly, like according to your answers on these like assessments, like you're actually doing pretty good. And I actually like shameless plug. <laughs> for coaching because at this point in our marriage, I had been coaching 
as a beach body coach for, I don't know, I can't do the math seven. I'm almost seven years in. And that was four years ago. So I had been coaching for almost three years and personal development had been a huge part of my life. And I had an amazing community of people who lifted me up. Right. And I had an amazing community to fall back on that were there for me through some of the hardest moments of my life. Right. And I had books. I believed in myself. I had the habits of affirmations and all these positive things that were already going for me. And he was actually going to tell me on our four-year anniversary. So two years prior, three years prior, two years prior, I'm pretty sure. And at that point I had been coaching for about a year, but I wasn't really like into it yet. Like I I was, it was just kind of a hobby at that point. And I had all the habits were ingrained and whatever. So like, I super attribute like how well I did through that phase Mm -hmm. to those behaviors, right. That I had already made habitual and the people that I had in my corner that supported you through all that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And having another hat to put on, like, I cannot (laughs) tell you enough how freeing it was. And it's kind of funny because I, I watch other coaches, right. And as they go through hard things in their life, coaching is the first hat they take off. And it's like, oh, I'm going through something hard. I got to take a step back and I'm not going to coach anymore. And it's so funny because I'm like, girlfriend, no, like you have no idea. Like mm-hmm. when you lean into this hat, it was my saving grace when yeah. this hat of marriage freaking sucks and I can take it off and put on this other hat of coaching that I know I'm loved, that I know I'm valued, that I know I'm good at this, mm-hmm. right? It gave me so much joy through the hardest season of my life. Right. So I didn't really like have a ton of, I remember having a conversation with my sister. I don't remember having a ton of like, yeah, my body is so gross and my body, like, I didn't have a whole bunch of like bodily negative Mm self-talk. It was just more of, I don't even know. I, I remember feeling so like my marriage is a complete lie. And how do I know that anything he's ever told me is true? Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's disclosed all these things that, you know, he's done or whatever, but how do I know that that's really it, that that's really all is, are there other things that he hasn't disclosed? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like the hardest part really was the trust factor And just feeling like, okay, this is like my best friend. And he still is. He is my favorite human in the world. Um, But just having that, like, (laughs) how do I even trust you? And like, not that trust piece was so hard. And then just having the hormones and the pregnancy, whatever on top of it was not very fun. Right. But I don't know. Does that answer your question? No, it's interesting because what happens is that our life, the quality of our life is only as good as the quality of the meaning we attach to the things in our life. So when something like this happens, which was like a big surprise for you, like, what did you make it mean? You know, and I think that's so important, especially when it comes to something like pornography, where it's shrouded in all this shame, like anything sexual in our culture and I mean, we, we, it's interesting sex because it's okay if we're staring at it on a screen, but if we're going to talk about it, you know, with our kid at the dinner table, somehow that's shameful. 
And so it's just kind of funny, just like, how is shame playing into this? And how do I want to show up with this topic with my loved ones and with myself? I think it's really important because I could probably count 10 people on my fingers right now of really good men, really good men who do or have struggled in the past with pornography addiction, Mm -hmm. really good men. Mm -hmm. And so that's not the factor. What I want to point out is that if someone, if you struggle with pornography, man or woman, and I would point out that one third of the people who visit Pornhub are women, women are viewing porn, women are addicted to pornography, but because it's talked about as like a man's issue, they are like extra shamed, right? They get the first layer of shame and then the second, because it's not supposed to be a woman's issue. So there's that aspect to it. But if we just strip the shame away and just look at it, all it really means is that we have a brain and we have a body and that they are actually physiologically wired to like to look at pornography. And the reason why is because our brain associates sex with survival. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all. It's, I mean, even on Maslow's like hierarchy of needs, sex is right there at the, you know, at the core. And so our bodies are wired to survive and our brain connects sex with survival, with reproducing. Mm -hmm. And so if someone's addicted to pornography, it doesn't mean they're bad or that they're no longer good. It -hmm. just means that you have a human brain and a human body that's actually operating according to how it was wired. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. Strip all the meaning away. You're just like every human on the earth because everyone here has a body, right? Mm -hmm. And when you can get to that neutral place on this topic, then you can be like, okay, so now what? Now, what do we do about it? Because just like drugs creates a huge release of feel-good more hormones in our brains to a degree that is, is, um, creates an environment in our brains where, you know, like our receptors start shutting off, right. Which then causes this like strong urge to seek more drugs to get the same effect. The same thing happens with pornography, even with sugar too, by the way, it's a Mm -hmm. condensed form, right? Like anytime we eat a meal, we, we receive an appropriate response of dopamine release in our heads. But if it's a refined carbohydrates or sugars, right. Then because it's such a easily, um, it's such an easily like use of energy, our brain releases a larger release of dopamine. And then our brain's like, oh, that's extra important to survival. Be sure you eat that. Which is why people say, I don't feel good, but I still want to shove sugar in my face Mm -hmm. because their brain's like, yeah, more of that. That's really important. So the same thing with pornography, right? Sex is important, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's why we're all here. We all exist because of sex. Hello. Thank you, mom and dad. Don't want to think any (laughs) more about it other than that. But (laughs) but (laughs) the point being is that pornography, just like sugar is a condensed form of food. Pornography is a condensed false form of sex. Mm -hmm. And it is damaging to us, right? It does have, that's why there's a big campaign fight the new drug because it does have the effect of drug in our brain, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean someone was weak. It doesn't mean someone's bad. It doesn't mean someone's not worthy. It means they have a human brain and body and they're trying to figure out, you know, how do I, what do I do with all this? 
Yeah. Well, and in the nutrition side of things, like there are literally scientists who are going to work every day, trying to figure out how to make foods more addictive, right? Yes. How can we make, and even just Lay's, like their slogan is, I bet you can't have just one, right? Like they're trying and trying and trying to how do we get these people to consume more of them? Because guess what? The consumption of more of these means they want to buy more of these, which means more money in our pockets, right? And so sugars and fats and fast foods and all those things that we think we can't do without, I've been 12 years without soda, (laughs) P.S. We totally can, right? But it's totally one of those, it's the exact same concept of like the people who created pornography. It's a really good thing. Food is a really good thing. We need food to survive. Right. But they, they twisted it and mangled it and made it all. Why? (laughs) To put money in their pockets. Yes. Really? The pornography industry is, is amazing at doing what they're, they're good at what they do. And, and here's the thing is that when you have a little sugar, you want more sugar, right? It leads to more of that habit. And the same thing with pornography. So it's definitely not like a life-sustaining habit, right? In fact, it's life-taking because it's keeping you from connecting the way that sex is actually designed to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's not a habit you want to keep around, Mm -hmm. but it also doesn't mean you're bad. It just means you're human and and you've been taken advantage of. A lot of times women identify in a relationship or any spouse in a relationship with other spouse has been viewing pornography is that they feel a sense of victimhood, right? A, A sense of loss. And there's nothing wrong with that initially, except that then there's an us, them kind of thing. Like if there's a victim, then there's also a villain, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Right. But what in this case, what if the victim is everyone? Mm -hmm. Totally. And if everyone's the victim, then we all get to show up from a place of unconditional love and figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the most powerful tools I learned in therapy because I did find a betrayal trauma coach that was just like, oh my gosh, I sing her praises to this day. If we ever have a little girl, her name will be Alana after this person. But um, she taught me about like the betrayal trauma triangle, right? That you have three roles in this triangle. You can either be the victim, the woe is me, I can't believe you would do this to me, right? Person, you can be the perpetrator, the okay, because you did this, you're not allowed to have sex with me for a whole year and you're in trouble and you don't get to have any computer ever and your smartphone is gone and Wi-Fi, right? Like you're that person or you can be the rescuer Mm -hmm. of, okay, we gotta, we gotta figure this out. We'll fix the situation. How can I help you? How can I blah, 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 right? And my default was the rescuer. It's a huge part of my personality. And I bet you're sitting here thinking listeners or Carrie, I don't know, maybe, you know, the answer to this already, but, oh, the rescuer, that sounds like the right one to be good job, Bryn. Nope. Ixnay. I'm not Jesus. Yes. <laughs> I am not. Jesus. Say it again for the people in the back, Bryn. <laughs> I am not Jesus. Not yours. <laughs> no, it is not have my the power. Yep. Yes. So the right solution in the triangle is none of it to just remove yourself from the triangle completely. I'm not the victim. I'm not the perpetrator. I'm not the rescuer. Mm -hmm. I'm just the wife. And I love 
and it makes me emotional even just thinking about it, but there's been, that has been the hugest piece of growth of, I don't need to save him. I don't need to feel victimized by him. I don't need to be his mother and be in charge of his every move. Right. But I just need to remove myself completely from him. And I need to hate the sin and love the sinner. That is my only job. Right. And I need to rely on my savior and turn to him and gain more faith and more trust in the atonement. Right. And learn more about it and then forgive how many times 70 times seven. Right. And so that learning that piece was huge, 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 huge in our marriage. And I feel like I've talked about this before, but it needs to be said again. But I have a really good friend. She was actually uh, a guest on my podcast earlier on that she, I won't say her name just in case she doesn't want this shared, but her husband has a alcohol situation and she posts, she's also a life coach. She, I don't know if she's officially one, but she's certifying to be one. Mm -hmm. Um, And she posted something one time that was just so spot on because I was so guilty of telling Blake, like, I love you maybe not for who you are today, because I'm sad about the choices you made today, but I love you for who you can be in the future. Right. And I would totally say that all the time thinking like, yeah, that's so great, Bryn. You're just so faithful, like way to see the whole picture. Right. But my friend posted this one time and she, she said, love him for who he is today. Yes. Right now. Yes. Not, Not just for who he can be, but for who he is, because I mean, if your spouse, if you flip that coin on its head, like, oh yeah, babe, I love you for who you can be. Once you lose 20 pounds, then I'll love you. Right. That's like not really love, right? That's not love. No. <laughs> no. Love says, I love you now, yes. right now. As you are. Period. Period. Done. Period. I love yep. you. Yep. You don't have to change. You don't have to become something new. You don't have to, whatever. I love you for who you are. And, and as, as soon as I saw that, I was like, Oh, wake up call Bryn, like smack me across the face. Like I have got to stop saying that. Mm -hmm. And I started changing my verbiage, right? Just, yep. I, and, and anytime Blake comes to me and tells me, you know, like, Hey, whatever I messed up situation. (laughs) It's so hard in those moments. Like, what do I say? What do I do? And I almost always like, Emily, brother, help me say right you know, cause it's like, I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to be a perpetrator. I don't want to rescue him. What do I say? Right. And 99.9% of the time I just say, I'm so sorry, you know, or, or like, how are you feeling? Right. And just try to ask him about it. And then I always end the conversation or whatever, somewhere, make sure to communicate. I love you still. Right. And, and that's it. And that's, a, that's enough. Right. And I don't, he already knows he's already disappointed in himself. He's already feeling that shame. Satan's already telling him how, bet, how much he sucks. Right. And I don't need to rub dirt in the wound or salt in the wound, whatever that expression is. Right. So anyways, I'll stop talking. Well, Here's and then me. also though, also <laughs> is that you still get to show up the way you want to show up, regardless of what your spouse does or doesn't do. Right. Mm-hmm. And you get to love. And that doesn't mean everyone's situation is different. And that may still mean that out of love, I'm going to draw boundaries in different places. And I'm going to uphold those boundaries, not from a place to punish, 
but from a place of love because of the relationship, right? Yep. Some people think boundaries are punishment. They're not. They're just something that out of love for both people and the relationship, right? That respect piece. But you get to show up however you want, regardless. Mm-hmm. But I think a big thing also to, to remember is that um, pornography is not going away. Mm-hmm. Our culture celebrates it. Um, it objectifies bodies as, as like an object there to be gratified by, which Mm -hmm. is the problem with pornography, right? Because sex in its true form, like what sex really is designed to do is to create connection between a man and a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Um, in a very whole symbolic way, Mm -hmm. but sex removes that connection and takes the other person and objectifies them as just a means of pleasure, Mm -hmm. right? And so um, it also sets people up for, it, it lies to people, right? People who are heavily engaged in pornography, depending on how, of what depth the addiction is and what they're involved in, in it, 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 it can take away a drive for the real sex, you know, for the real thing, mm-hmm. because the real thing doesn't create the dopamine hit that this really erotic depiction does, mm-hmm. right? To create Remember the industry is really good at doing what they do. They're designing their product, which is sexual images and interaction to create that dopamine hit and they want it strong. Right. Mm -hmm. And so just remembering that, but also to give hope is that that's a very primal response in our brain, but we've evolved in our species to have an upper brain and there are skills that can be learned to override that lower brain and to create distance between that primal response and our true selves, which wouldn't choose that. Our true selves wants real sex. Our true self actually wants real whole food, right? Mm-hmm. That's what our true self wants. It wants things that are life-giving. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so there are skills and, and co- find coaches and therapists and counselors and a- anyone that has any training on this to help you create that separation so that you can have control over those primal responses. There's like, it's not like all hope is lost. Like my message is that this doesn't need to be a thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Doesn't need to be a thing. Let's get rid of the shame. And let's just look at it for what it is. And now let's get in there and strengthen those parts of your brain, those muscles in your brain that are going to get you where you want to go. And we'll deconstruct the other parts. And then over time, just like just like uh, a trail that isn't walked slowly grows over, then you won't have that desire anymore. Mm-hmm. We know, we know how now about how you know, like neuroplasticity, it really is just like walking pathways. As we stop walking them, it grows over. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. And that's how that works. And so it's not like all hope is lost, but the first step really is to lose the shame and then full acceptance of the situation, looking at it. So once you understand it, then you get to manipulate it with your agency, with your power of choice, however you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think as, as mothers and as parents in this culture, the biggest thing, because because it's not going away, I, this, this statistic is mind boggling. 89% of the world's population has a smartphone. <laughs> I believe that. I'm like, what? Like I'm thinking worldwide, like, not all ages, 89%. That's a lot. Yeah. That, right. Even like, kids like that includes children. 89, like, the wow. statistics, 89% of the world's population. That was the statistic. Um, and I was like, Whoa, it was like 
something billion people have smartphones. And so take that walking around. I mean, pornography used to be something you had to go seek out in a back alley or from a, a magazine under a bed or right. But, but now it's just in the box that we carry around in our pockets. Mm-hmm. So this crew, this, our, our brain is not evolved to a place where that's an easy thing to manage. You have to build that muscle with intention, mm-hmm. but it can absolutely be done. Mm-hmm. So, but for us as parents, what do we do with our children? Well, the first thing is that we just talk about sex and the functions, right? We, we, I think we've all read at least enough mommy blogs or parenting blogs to know that we don't call them, you know, by nicknames, our, our sexual um, parts, we call them penises and vaginas. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but I sit down at the table and with any kid that's like six or above, I'm like, let's draw a picture. And I just draw a picture and I'm like, mom's not an artist. And they all kind of laugh or, or I'll pull out the big biology book with the human anatomy, right? Like let's teach you information And let's also teach you about what real sex is about age appropriately, right? Let's teach that to them. And then not only that, let's then also teach them about the dangers of false sex and about, oh, watch that brain. Your lower brain is going to think that's really important and helpful, but it's actually going to lead you down a path that you don't want to go on Mm -hmm. and be really specific with them because this is not going away. So if you're not talking about it, the world's already media, it's already given it to your kid. So if you're not on the defensive and offensive, your kid's going to experience it. Well, they're going to experience it anyway, but to what degree? To what degree? And I totally remember the first time I learned about sex. Like I knew you had to be naked and whatever, but I didn't know the pencil had to go into the pencil sharpener. (laughs) That was literally how it was explained. No, no, the penis into the vagina, Brynn. (laughs) That's how it was explained to me. Oh my goodness, really? Yeah. Well, you got more than I got. (laughs) Yeah, but I was like, but that was one of my friends. One of my friends taught me that. And I was like 13 or 14 years old. And so, but I literally like, I'm not joking and you guys might judge me and feel free to my five-year-old knows what sex is. My three-year-old has heard the word sex a lot of times. I don't think she could really explain it to me just because she's pretty little, but I've she explained it, it to her. Yes. Yeah. She knows what it is. And, and we've talked about like, even this morning we had a conversation. I, uh, my last podcast episode was about like, you know, introducing new siblings and the idea of new siblings my cute little almost two-year-old she still doesn't grasp the concept of like you're gonna be my sister yeah (laughs) right like and so we were talking my kids last night were like I want to see a picture of how big the baby is now and so I showed them the app on my phone and we were talking about the baby in my tummy and whatever and and my two-year-old was like me baby tummy you know and and we were like no Ellie you don't have a baby in your tummy and Holland my five-year-old was like Ellie you haven't had sex yet (laughs) (laughs) and I was like yes like parenting win like I I'm so dang proud of that I really am that we it's not even awkward like then yesterday I think it was yesterday or maybe it was a couple of days ago but my Holland and Alila, my five-year-old and three-year-old were being silly and 
they were like, I'm Holland and I'm Alila, right? And my three-year-old, my little Alila was like, so I have a penis now. And Holland was like, and I have a vagina, right? Like it was just like normal, normal, funny, random conversation for them, right? That I'm like, okay, like this, I am so glad that this is not awkward because I remember like when my mom tried to sit me down and have a conversation I was like 15 at this point and I'm like nope it's awkward like mom like stop Mm -hmm. yeah right and and I think all teenagers go through that right and so really the earlier we can start I mean I haven't I love what you said about like six and older right and actually showing them like the human anatomy and pictures for learning and well, start everything. earlier than that though yeah. telling them their yeah. body parts and and girls have this boys have this like mm-hmm. like explain those things but the actual function they I find that I just introduce things according to when they're like asking me questions I'm like oh yeah, you're ready totally. for more so we yeah. give more you know yep. and if they're and, old enough to wonder you're, yes. they're old enough to yes. hear the actual yeah. answer yeah right and so that whole like mom where do babies come from situation like well, let me tell you, and I'll, I'll use words that you can understand and I'll try to dumb it down as I say that not, yeah, I don't love the word dumb, but you know what I mean? To make it on their, on their level. Right. And well, actually babies come from a mommy's tummy. And my kids have asked me multiple times, mom, did I come out of your vagina or did I have to get cut out? And you know, so I'm like, you came out of my vagina, right? And they're like, that's weird. Right. And that's fine. That's okay. It is a little odd when you really stop to think about it, but it's also really cool. And so just all those, like, if they're old enough to wonder, they're also old enough to hear. Well, and I think too, is, is the biggest thing is that figure out how you feel about sex and sexuality. If you feel funny about it, then this is going to feel like a really difficult and awkward process. But if you can get really clear in your mind and also just shed any shame that you have around this topic away, then you're going to show up from a really natural and just kind of progressive line upon line, um, you know, strategy, and you'll know what to do what's next. But it really does start if you're riddled with shame about your body and sex and so forth. Well, then that's where you need to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and I think it goes back to, especially if you're also a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, like for whatever reason we have that ingrained in us, sex is bad. Sex is bad. Sex is bad. No, it's not. It is not yes. bad. Yes. Well, it, any it, faith-based, yeah. Um, any, yeah, totally. I mean, any, uh, especially most, I would say, I would say like, I mean, because you, you got Jews and Muslims and, and, and then all the different, you know, sex within um, Christianity and, and all of it, like um, there's, there's deep rooted beliefs of sex. And, and what I'm saying is keep those, just get rid of the part where you think it means something wrong about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. and, that, and, and get rid of the belief that sex is bad. Sex, yes. the right person, yes. at the right time, yes. is absolutely good. Well, and, and getting your verbiage um, uh, exact, I think is important. Sex is so good that the Lord wants you to have it in the right place at the right time with the right right person. person. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, Oh, it's so bad. We don't do it. It's, it's so good that we want to have it under the right circumstances. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a great talk, 
um, uh, by uh, uh, Elder um, Holland, Jeffrey R. Holland. He was a president of Brigham Young University, and he gave a great talk called Soul Symbols and Sacraments that I used to teach my children that this uh, sexual intimacy is symbolic with God in creation, and it really brings it into a very whole uh, approach the why. I remember when I discovered this talk, I was in college and I was like, why didn't anyone teach me this when I was growing up? I was mm -hmm. like, I just, I just did it. Cause I just, I didn't have sex because you just said it was bad, mm -hmm. but it's not bad at all. You know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, why didn't you just teach me this? Well, I don't think the, I didn't think everyone understood that they were all raised with shame around it too. Right. Totally. But, but come from a place of wholeness, from a place of love for yourself and for what God created our bodies to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, but teach them the why teach them the deeper meanings. Yeah. I yep. love that. Oh, so good. Okay. So what would your like final advice be for women out there who struggle with this themselves? You are not the only one. Um, so many women struggle for years with this. And it's, it's like double, it's a double shame because first it's supposed to be just a man's problem and all of the, it's getting better now, but the majority of information out there is, is angled towards men. Women engage in it because it sexually stimulates them, but also it, it provides, women are more security-based, right? And so it provides a, a feeling of safety as well. And so, um, though they are both sexually stimulated from it, they both seek it out kind of for different reasons. What's interesting is that women are more likely to act out sexually because of pornography addiction than men, which I thought was really interesting. Hmm. Um, but the biggest message is that you are not the only one. There are growing places out there and more awareness around it. And, and the same thing applies is that there are simple skills that you can learn um, that can decondition that within your brain. And it's, it's, it's simple, um, and just with a lot of love and release of shame, shame and judgment is huge. It keeps you, it damns you from growing, but if you can release that and learn how to access and develop those muscles, those skills in your brain, it doesn't need to be an issue anymore. It, it's, yes. it can just become a thing of the past. You can just move on. It doesn't need to be with you anymore. So, I, love yeah. I love that. Okay. And then what would your final piece of advice be for, for those women out there like me who it's, it's not them, but it's their husbands who have a hard time. Well, you know, with all of that is what are you making it mean about you? You can't control your husband, right? But what are you making it mean about you? And, and also, I guess about him too. Well, what are you meaning? Are you attaching it? He's got a habit or an addiction with pornography. What are you making it mean about him? All it really means is that he has a human brain and body that's designed to be stimulated by those images. Now, how do you want to show up? Every situation is different, but it doesn't need to mean anything about you. So many women think if I was enough, then he wouldn't want to view this. If I was enough, I, 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 uh, there's a gal I've coached um, in the past who, who um, her husband no longer struggles with pornography for several years now but he used to. And she thinks about it so often that though she doesn't view pornography, it becomes an addictive pattern in her brain to think about it mm -hmm. so much so that it interfere, interferes with their intimate life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so for spouses who have had 
their spouse um, engage in, in pornography is that they can make it mean all sorts of things about them that actually can create them to think about pornography just as much as their spouse, even if they're not the one viewing it. Mm-hmm. And so just to watch ourselves and realize it doesn't mean anything about you. Mm-hmm. Nothing. It just means that they're designed to respond that way. Yeah. That's it. That's all. Yep. And my main, my main message for all those beautiful women out there who have the same struggle as me is that triangle thing, right? Just don't be the victim. Don't be the perpetrator. Don't be the rescuer. Just do your best to step outside of it and let Jesus take the wheel and know that you are enough exactly as you are. And you are not his mother. You are his wife. You are his partner. Right. Um, so I love that. I love that so much. Um, a couple of thoughts real quick before we wrap it up. I did have a couple of books come to mind. You guys know me, you know, I like (laughs) books. And so several books that have really helped me in this regard. Um, one was, uh, this is not necessarily about pornography and stuff, but just, if you already have like a weirdness around like, no sex is bad, like, and it's hard to rewire my brain around that. Cause that's just how I was raised. Um, and they were not ashamed was a, is a really good book that helped me a lot. Um, and then, um, when it comes to pornography, it's, this book was written more for the person who is addicted. Um, but it was also very empowering to know as the wife of the addicted, um, it's called like dragons, did they fight? And, um, just understanding the pattern of, the cycle and the way the brain works and all of that. It was really, really empowering to learn all that. And, um, and then there, anything by Brene Brown, anything by Brene Brown, (laughs) Brene, she's wonderful. Yeah. Anything by Brene Brown, when it comes to like talking about shame and learning about shame and shedding more light on why we feel shame And when I, I, cause I just kept getting that feeling like, oh my gosh, Blake really needs to read the gifts of imperfection. Blake really need, And that's a great book. Oh, it's, it's probably my favorite book of all time besides like the book of Mormon. Um, but I just kept getting that feeling. And when he finally did, he was like, okay, this needs to be like a precursor for everyone to read before they enter life. Like (laughs) everyone needs to read this book. This needs to be required reading for the human race. And I was like, "Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. And so the gifts. Could I add add one more book to that? Yes. For, for the women out there who struggle with pornography, there's a book called dirty girls. And it was written by a woman whose name is crystal Reynald. And she is someone who has struggled for, with pornography for, I don't know, over a decade. And she has a whole, um, uh, recovery program called she recovery, but that's a great book is dirty girls. And just the biggest message is that you're not the only one. This is not, this isn't everybody pro this is a problem for people with bodies (laughs) Mm -hmm. and sexual desires, which all of us, right? Hi, congratulations, everyone. (laughs) Right. No, I love this so much. Okay. Well, any final thoughts you want to leave with us before? No, I think I've said it all. Okay. Well, you're amazing. So thank you, my friends for tuning in with us today. And seriously, if you have any 
questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, questions, maybe I already said that, but it needed to be reiterated, right? Please reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Bryn Wise, B-R-Y-N-N-E-W-I-S-E. And Carrie, where's the best place for them to find you? So you, Facebook is a better place to find me, just my name, Carrie Nygaard, but I also have a website. I'm going to change my URL, but right now it's brainmanagement101.com. Okay. But I'm going to just change it to my name here pretty soon. So okay, make perfect. It so just yeah. find her, Carrie Nygaard. It's K-E-R-R-I-E-N-Y-G-A-R-D, just in case you need that spelling. Yeah. Um, on Facebook, she's amazing. And, and if you are interested in following the blog that she and I met through, it's called strong moms. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. So thank you, my friends for tuning in. I freaking love you. I believe in you like crazy and I'll see you next week. All right, you guys, that's it. Thank you for sticking around. If this message spoke to you today, please feel free to share it with someone you love. It would mean the world to me if you would leave this podcast a quick review from wherever you're listening from so that other mamas can find it too. Be sure to find me on Instagram so that we can be friends in real life. You can find me at Bryn Wise. Thank you for making the choice to become a mom. Thank you for loving your kids. Remember that you are doing better than you think you are. Remember to lean on your village. Remember, the biggest contribution you make in this world might not be something you do, but someone you raise. And always remember to give yourself grace.